Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Welcome back to Stories Are Soul Food. <laughs> As I open my San Pellegrino. Yeah, a sparkle, a sparkle water. <laughs> a scratchy water, as I call it. Scratchy water. Yeah. Well, here we are. We're here. Food we're here. To discuss one of our favorites. Oh, is that what we're doing today? I, think I don't so. know. I don't feel necessarily equipped you to don't do think this right now. We can do it. Okay. We can try. Do we return to another one? I don't no, let's, think so. let's just do it. Let's I think we go. discuss uh, a best-selling novelist. That's how we describe Terry Pratchett. A best-selling novelist, <laughs> a knight of the realm. Yes. Sir Terrence. Sir Terrence. P. Sir Terrence P. Sir Terrence. Yeah. So uh, the UK's best-selling author in the 90s, I just found out. He Weird. Is, he got a decade. He owned the 90s. He owned the 90s. The 90s. Interesting. Um, I did not know this about him. Yeah. I found out too. The thing I mean, was, he churned out content like McDonald's. Right. 41 Discworld novels plus collaborations but the more i read about him i'm just gonna say this so maybe we'll work from here the more i read about him personality wise the more he reminded me <laughs> of you <laughs> so obviously why uh, is that uh okay so you know he always was i live wearing, inside myself so i can't tell yeah you know how he's always wearing that hat you're not a hat guy but he's always wearing that kind of black cowboy looking hat. yeah i'll wear i'll wear a hat when needed yeah he described that as the outfit of an urban cowboy. And I felt like that that spoke probably. That I, I like can admire that from a Brit. Oh, uh, I yeah. recently had to be at a cocktail party on a roof in Hollywood. And it was, you know, I shouldn't speak too ill of it because I'm grateful. Thank you to all my hosts who invited me to that wonderful thing. It sucked. Um, <laughs> sucked. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, it was fruitful. It was a fruitful time, and yet I hate that kind of thing. I hate it so much. Yeah, you're not a soiree guy. Yeah, take take me not to thine soiree. Well, see, that's what in the words of the poet. <laughs> that, that's what Terry P said. He said, "I'm not a city gent. I don't wear a hat. I'm a city it. gent." But I'm the yeah, I wore I wore cowboy boots. Okay, and I wore I had to go, so I had to go to a cocktail party on a rooftop off of Sunset Boulevard, and. In those situations, I feel like I cannot look like I'm from here. It really bothers me. I don't want to just assimilate. I need to look like I do not belong. I need I need to be out of place, and I need everyone to see me as out of place. And I need them to come say, where are you from? And I say, Idaho, and have it make sense. <laughs> <laughs> is that a strategy or a reflex? No, or what no, is it's it? a reflex. It's, it's a reflex. There's nothing strategic about it. Uh, it might not be strategic. It's just a reflex. And I was thinking, like, man, when's the last time I wore these cowboy boots to a party? And I was like, yeah, it was a cocktail party in New York. <laughs> and, I know, uh... like, and I was doing the same thing. <laughs> when I'm in Idaho, I don't wear cowboy boots. I don't feel the need. I don't have this itch to do it. But if I'm if I'm going to be, you know, a little featured a little featured show poodle at a cocktail party in Manhattan, then, you know, I need the boots. And if I'm going to go be on the roof of a party in Sunset Boulevard, I'm, <laughs> I need to look like, who let that guy in? 
<laughs> I love it. What kind of things do you discuss at a soiree? Or is it just lots of small talk? Man, this particular one, I got to hear from a ton of people like, man, it's so weird to be out. It's the first time I've been to an event in two years. It's the first time I've been around people. Isn't it weird that no one's wearing a mask? Isn't it so bizarre to you? Oh, like, wow. it's really strange, said one executive. It's so strange because, like, if everybody was wearing a mask, I'd just be like, yeah, we're wearing masks. But I walked in the room and, like, no one's wearing a mask. And I'm like, I guess we're not doing that. I guess that, as he said, I guess we're all just in effort mode. Like, okay. Oh, no. Like, it sounds I guess, like the most boring conversation. I guess possible. we're through. I guess we're just, like, whatever. And, like, <laughs> we're not scared anymore. Screw it. And I was like, yeah, I guess. Uh, that's the situation. That's what's happening. And that's what's happening. And um, inside, you're probably thinking this is inside. Worse I'm than sitting there thinking that for the last two years, the only noticeable change in my life is that I had to go to LA less. <laughs> <laughs> a net positive. <laughs> yeah. And now, admittedly, I'm being prosecuted because my son's put up stickers. There's other things that changed. Well, I was going to say, did you bring that up? Oh, my family's being prosecuted. <laughs> no, <laughs> I have, though. I have brought that kind of stuff up. Um, and they say, where are you from again? Anyway, this is all to say, yeah, Idaho. This is all to say, um, I have at one of these parties when they talk about guns and those crazy people in the red states or whatever it is. And I'll say, yeah, I'm not really a gun guy. I'm, I'm really not. I'm from Idaho, but I'm not a gun guy. Mm -hmm. I only have nine. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them I have never fired. So... I yeah. just have them. So do I, you really have them is the question. I think. I, the yeah, gun guys I, but I do have them. And in Idaho, I'm not a gun guy. I'm not. Mm -hmm. But I do I do own, I actually, I'm just saying nine. It might be more than that, but I think it's just nine. Yeah. And it just kind of stuns them. But I also recently came home from riding and stopped in my driveway. Well, first accelerated to catch them and then watched two very large wolves run across my driveway. Whoa, and no way. Like, awesome. know, so it was pretty awesome. And it was 3.30 in the morning, and they thought they'd be alone in my driveway, and then I surprised them. Surprise. Surprise, this is the driveway of a writer. <laughs> you oh, might yeah. run into me at 3.30. And so uh, it's one of those things that they can't begin to comprehend. Yeah. Um, and also, my, my son is in Manhattan right now, and he said that he's never been anywhere so provincial. So truly insular. He can, okay, meaning that they have they never genuinely been have else. no idea, what no idea what's like. outside of that bubble. Wow! And it blows his mind. You know, he actually just he said he ran into a kid from South Carolina, and they had a great conversation of commiseration. I'm like, isn't it weird that nobody here knows anything about the world, about the real world, about what's actually going on out there? No one knows a thing. You know, these are kids who. Got you know sixteen hundreds on their SATs and don't know that Washington is a state. Yikes! Don't know that Alabama is in the South. They think it's in the West, out there. Oh, somewhere. because it's one of those. It's states. one of those. Yeah. You know, it's like just have no clue why people might need cheap gas. You know, it's like because they're going, you know, fifty miles frequently to go to the store. You know, yeah. out out west. You know, yeah. just really. It's really, really bizarre to them. And they're so used to, I, um, a family member who lived in Manhattan for a long time told me that the subconscious effect of, of just surviving off of public transport and all these other things just 
it starts to really seep in and you start to just assume the government's job is to take you places and get you places and give you things make sure you're, you. you don't even have a yard you have no there's nothing for you to take care of there's nothing that's in your control uh, and there's no sense of independence you know at at all and then you you get somewhere like idaho and there's a ton of dirt and space and you know, you're yeah. kind of on your own. Something bad goes down, you have to assume the cops are a long ways away. Right. Like, there's there's not really anybody who's going to get here that fast unless you're putting up a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> but, Downtown but you digress. <laughs> in, a, in the time of COVID. Anyway, I do sympathize with Terry Pratchett's uh, desire to be a cowboy. I don't really want to be one because I know what that actually looks like. I know what a real cowboy looks like. Right. No, my fam, my mom's family is all yeah. cowboys, and it's not not the life. It's of, not the life of glamour. Not the dream life. Um, I do love living on the dirt. I love, you know, I tell I don't live in the country really. I mean, I live in the fields. I live on acreage out of town. I only wear cowboy boots at parties in New York and L.A. I'm a total fraud. But all it is is me putting up a billboard that says I'm not you when I'm there. So when I see those pictures of Sir Terry wearing his black cowboy hat, I absolutely sympathize. Now, he was also living in a castle, right? Well, I don't know that. Well, wearing his black cowboy hat, which I also sympathize with. Because <laughs> <laughs> who wouldn't want to live in a castle? Because why not? Well, the second thing, uh, it's he says, and this is, again, something readers will remember. He says fantasy is the primary genre the earliest the only one yeah the genre that uh, it's realism yeah yeah that that's how you see the world and how you process so he was very he, he thought it was ridiculous that people tried to make writing fantasy uh this you know ex um something that's not part of everyday life and so that also reminded me of uh some things you've said about fantasy being um the only way yeah he started out as a sci-fi slash horror writer and moved away yeah. from that, which is... But fan like we live in a fantasy novel, and one of the things I appreciate the most about Pratchett's writings is his ability to move into different points of view to reveal the truth about reality, this reality, yeah. all of reality. And he does it in his silly farcical disc world where he says it's flat. Right. Like this is a flat world on the back of elephants. Or elephants or, yeah. on the back of a turtle. Yeah. Flying through space. <laughs> yep. And so disc world. And yet I don't think anybody bounces into points of view as effectively as he does. And I think that that's probably the single greatest way that he's affected my own writing. Mm. Is I will always at some point in every novel I will find myself drifting into an inanimate point of view or uh, an animalian point of view or or something somewhere to give what I consider to be a more honest perspective on humanity, time, the human condition, yeah. the narrative in general. Yep. So one of my favorite, uh, I don't remember which book it was in. My daughter has told me many times, but um, I should say also I have every, every single Terry Pratchett novel on, awesome. my, on my shelf. Those fun little paperbacks. All of them. Yeah. All of them. We have a shelf. And then between my daughter's upstairs and the shelf downstairs, there's now every, the complete works of Terry Pratchett um, are in our household. Some of them are like, eh, no, that's not true. Monstrous Regiment, we ditched. I don't care about it. It's stupid. Um, but it's Monstrous Regiment is 
even there reveals uh, his intelligence because it's a reference to John Knox. The title right. is a reference to, to John Knox, and it's also written like Manny was Thursday. So it's influenced by Chesterton and John Knox. Mm-hmm. And then it happens to be politically moronic and just kind of not as fun yeah, as most kind of his stuff. Feminist, feminist it's kind of like but... whatever. But it's not even that feminist. It's just, just dumb. Uh, like I, just, I, I, just, I thought parts of it were funny. Yeah, there's there's paragraphs <laughs> always, and things. He's always funny. Yeah. But that one is one that's kind of like, yeah, don't care about that one. We don't need it around. But he's he's got some towering moments of genius. And one of my favorite scenes ever is a scene in which a bunch of mayflies over the water, you know, are all swimming over the water and they're all talking about how the world is going to hell and how in their youth the sun was high and bright and now it's low and red <laughs> and like all these stupid younger generation mayflies don't understand how it's supposed to be <laughs> and of course these one day insects are all bemoaning the fact that the sun is setting and how everything's wrong now and and then he, you know, they're all having this, they're, they're talking about the youth of today and it's all this, it's this very brilliant assessment of how people, well, just how people do. Yeah. And they're, they're bemoaning this and bemoaning the way the world is and the, the younger generations. And, and this is a particular kind of insect that actually has no mouth parts at all. So in the real world, when they actually finish the little chain of uh, metamorphosis, they cannot eat. They have one belly full of fuel, and then they're dead. Wow. And that's it. They cannot consume anything. So they got one tank of gas to try to find a mate over the water and then die. And fall on the trout. Of starvation and feed the fish. Yeah. Um, and so he he plays this out, the futility of life and this Ecclesiastes moment from the perspective of the, some of the shortest-lived mm-hmm. animate creatures we have but in the fantasy world, and then satirizes man via these insects. And then as soon as he's done with that, he transitions to some trees, this old stand of like just ancient, ancient fir trees. And they're just standing there in silence, just like grim, grim silence. Um, and then one of them says something along the lines of, oof, you know, that was a that was a cold breeze right there. Like that was a cold one just then. And it's one of the hardest winters of a hundred years. Mm. And the tree processes it like it was just a cold draft. Mm-hmm. Like there was like the roots are so deep and it's moving, it's it's consciousness is so slow. Yeah. Um, and he's just playing around with perspectives on time. And he does this always. Yep. So perspectives on cities, perspective on government, perspective on crime. Perspective yeah, on the, the common people, perspective yeah. on the aristocrats, perspective on class, manners. Uh, I mean, it's just, he's Religions. really... I mean, he's great with his, his caricatures of every single social class. I mean, I'm thinking of Cut Me On Throat Dibbler. Yes. The hot dog salesman who starts out in the first novels as, you know, a single hand cart and then kind of grows it into an empire of dubious, yep. dubious, meats. dubious sausages. <laughs> uh, then I think my daughter's favorite characters are of course, Sam Vines, Commander Vines, and then also right. Moist Von Lipwig. Incredible. Going Postal is my favorite too. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good, good. It's a good novel. So he, but he's like, are these fantasy novels or are these satire? Are these 
like slightly dressing up the real world in in costume so right. that we can see it honestly. And I think frequently, yeah, I think he's frequently right just holding up a, a mirror to reality and and showing yeah. contemporary citizens of this of this post enlightenment world where they actually live and what it's actually like. Yeah, or Cohen the barbarian, the ger <laughs> the geriatric barbarian yep. with his hordes of old men. I don't know, there's just stuff like that that I find trouble explaining to people because it's like trying to get someone to watch Monty Python who's never seen it before. Yep, or read the comics The Neighborhood. Okay. The Neighborhood comics are a real <laughs> a real test of whether or not you have a soul. If you read The Neighborhood comics and you think these are not funny. Mm -hmm. I don't get it. You don't have a soul. You don't have a soul. And I think Pratchett's kind of, there's something there too where it, I, I don't get it. Why do I have to be in this amazingly grim city with these bizarre characters in order to see New York or London or just humanity, mm -hmm. honestly? Yeah. Um, I think he really, it really helps. I think he writes in a way that is really honest. He also although an atheist and friends with fools like Neil Gaiman and others, he's far more, well, he is far more honest about it. I think that he's, he's more like Hitchens to me. And Hitchens at the end, and Hitchens if you knew him personally, not Hitchens, his, his uh, persona, his persona, his manufactured brand. He's far more Hitchens than Dawkins. Dawkins is fraud through and through. You know, he's a just a performer, an atheist yeah, performer. He, he, yeah. But also I think he's shallow enough to not actually have doubts about his doubts. I think he's genuinely just mm. a preening, confident moron. Yeah. Um he, and he I think buys that, skepticism all the way down. Except yeah, and I think that skepticism. Hitchens, I mean Hit, in fact, I know, I don't think Hitchens knew that there were things in him that tugged towards Christianity and that those things were good and beautiful. Yeah. Because like, he knew that. Um, and so like the book Nation is, I think, a fantastic novel. And I think it reveals that about Pratchett. Like he can't. Oh, you liked that one. Well, that's fantastic. Maybe I need to reread because I hated it. I think, it's, I think it's one, <laughs> it's one of his strongest novels. Okay. It's absolutely. As a novel, as a story, it's one of his strongest works. I thought it was just an atheist sort of rant that he then bailed out of at the end. But maybe the bailing out is what you liked about it. It's an atheist exploration. But then he's honest at the end. Okay, that it didn't work. That his exploration didn't work. Yeah, or I think he's honest about the exploration. Okay. You know, it's like he's he's playing through this is it really nihilism question. Mm. Like, is it all nothing? And then he's kind of like marching, marching, is it all nothing? This is this is like the default answer is that it's all nothing. And then and he then finds out it's not. And then right at the end, there's this but, you know, it's like not really you know like there's this mm. tug there's yeah. this pull so I, th I think nation is is really uh really interesting and gives a profound insight into the way he himself functioned which is less neil gaiman and less right um dawkins yeah because pratchett was one of those he's so interested in the good and the noble and the brave yeah and knows that it's not consistent yeah um I remember as a kid thinking, how is he not a Christian? He knows how to tell such a good story where the bad guys lose and the good guys have an unexpected victory. Um, and all those perspectives that he offers. 
I mean, he's a classic footnote guy too. So as a kid, I mean, his footnotes can sometimes get tedious, but yep. his footnotes provide that additional perspective where he is aware that when you make a bold claim, there's always the potential a footnote will come in and make fun of it all. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And I, th- I think Pratchett is this, I think he has a soul, basically. And I think mm-hmm. he knows he has a soul. And you know, the ba- basically the image of God is still there and he's not brutally mutilated it. He spent his career a, like waking up perception and like an observing and perceiving and capturing and expressing. And so he cannot look at the world in the end and see nothing but madness. Mm. Like he just can't do it. Yeah. And so nation reflects that. And you see that elsewhere too, where he sees ridiculous priests and he sees right. silly Well, the outfits. university, the yeah. university Yeah, and he people. sees exactly the same thing I see. You know, like as a, as a believer, I see all those things. Um, Chesterton saw all those things. Right. But he still, when he looks at the world, when he looks, looks at an elephant, when he looks at a dolphin jumping for fun, as he does at the right at the end of Nation, mm. he actually, like it flinches and all his philosophy just shakes. And he's honest enough to admit that. Mm. And where others just won't. Okay. You know, so it's when you read game and you you are reading somebody who I think genuinely believes it and for purposes of storytelling and fantasy will play around with the supernatural or play around with um you know, play around with the idea of an afterlife, that kind of thing. But when you read Philip Pullman, I think you're reading somebody like Dawkins. And when you read I get that. When you read Pratchett, you're reading somebody who is torn. Yeah. You know. And it's the kind of thing I'm just, I'm really curious because like his uh, guys like Pratchett, you, you see that affection for beauty and goodness and truth. And you also see him aware that it's a contradiction. Right. Like he knows it's a contradiction inside himself um, and all, and it comes through in his writing. So I've, I've learned a ton from him. He, for me, Pratchett, reading Pratchett's like reading Woodhouse. And so we have, tons and tons of Woodhouse around too, where he's a craftsman of, he loves crafting sentences, hilarious descriptions. He's a fundamentally a cartoonist, mm-hmm. you know, but a cartoonist that's representing things that are real, calling those things out. And you can learn a lot about humanity from Woodhouse and you can learn a lot about humanity from Pratchett. I actually yeah. think you can learn more about humanity from Pratchett and, uh, more individual study about boys and girls from Woodhouse, but more about institutions and cities right. and civilizations. And uh, you know, Ankh Morpork being ruled by a tyrant is yeah. one of the greatest little tweaks. And a great, a great, a great, great character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> veterinary. Um, so where should people start? If they want to read their first Pratchett novel, where would you start them? Oh, man. Uh, I think you going uh, guards guards is the one people yeah. always say yeah it's a little bit of a swords and and dragons uh yeah. satire a little more satirical than some of his later stuff but i do think tend to lean to either towards guards guards because you introduce the night watch yep sam vimes which is the best carrot. character carrot yeah uh but um as a kid i think i ended up really liking going postal and the moist von lipwig trilogy yep um pretty solid yeah uh, yeah, I, t- I do tend to point people to guards, guards, because if you don't like it, 
If you right. don't, if you don't find it funny, if you don't enjoy that particular tour mm-hmm. of this city and these characters, then you're not going to like Pratchett. Right. Because if you do like it, there's so many more side streets and so many yep. side stories and yeah, and things for you to explore. I I, I have a a fond spot for the Hogfather just for the yeah. the premise of having an yeah. assassin try to kill Santa Claus, but uh, I think it probably doesn't hold up as a novel. <laughs> no, I also think that no one has ever written death as a character more effectively than Pratchett. That is true. So, you know, the, death a death of rats is one of my. Oh yeah, favorite. Amazing Maurice and his educated rodents is another one where you. That's pretty good. That one I don't admire as. I mean, I enjoy it, but I don't admire as much as the night, the night's watch stories. But yeah, Death of Rats shows up (laughs) all over the place. So there's the Grim Reaper for people, and there's the Grim Reaper for rats. I think that's part of the reason why I didn't like the Book Thief with its death character because I was like Pratchett did the death character better than the book thief did. come on zuzak yeah you could have copied this from pratchett and you would have had a convincing death character would have done better yeah. yeah well there we are i think i have nothing else to say about pratchett other than you should all read him and as we get asked a lot uh for stuff to hand to kids and hand to, mm-hmm. um you know hand off to those young readers who are becoming voracious as they grow up pratchett is a fantastic well yeah. Like Pratchett and, and Woodhouse both wrote so much and they are so diverse in their ability to hit male and female readers. And also there's stuff to talk about in Pratchett. Yeah. So it's funny, it's playful, it's Vogdarian, it's cartoony, mm-hmm. you know. Also um, very clean, which is something you don't think about. Yeah, there's some tacky bits yeah. here and there, but never except like never that bad. Not gaming level. I mean, no. maybe with gaming, you get into yeah. just bad stuff. Yep. So he's pretty, he's very tame. He never gets out of a uh, out of a low PG-13. Right. I mean, he's often PG and then to low PG-13. Yeah. And it's really, you, you can actually sit down and hear your kids out. Be like, what is going postal about? What's he saying? What's he making fun of? Like, what's... Right. So you're laughing, but you got to, in order to, in order to laugh, you have to get the joke. In order to get the joke, you have to be thinking. Your brain has to be on. Mm-hmm. So I, I really do think that Pratchett, there's a reason why there are all these books are on my shelf. You yeah. know, like this just is in our house so that the, so that people can can work through it, chip away. Right. There we go. Yeah. Uh, short one today, but Read that's good. Sir Terrence P. Yeah, that's 41 books at least, and then add nations, so you don't even need to ask for book recommendations. British for cowboy. Year. Yeah, just <laughs> go away. Acquire <laughs> acquire all of Pratchett's writing. And you'll find gold in, in every book, even his weakest books, you'll find you'll find some real gems in there. Yeah. Fantastic. The end. The end. Goodbye. Hi, it's Brian Cole here, wanting to let you know how you can support the Stories Our Soul Food podcast. You can do that by checking out Canon Plus. Head over to mycanonplus.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the SASF podcast. We'll hopefully be seeing you at mycanonplus.com. Thank you.